0: Hey listeners, Phil here. I just wanted to let you know that this January, Stageworthy will be seven years old, and I can hardly believe it's been that long. If you wanted to celebrate with me, there is no better way to do that than to help spread the news about Stageworthy by leaving a rating and review. Especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. I would be so grateful if you did that. But I'm even more grateful that you're listening. Thank you for seven years. I'm Phil Rickaby and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years, but I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be Stageworthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating five dollars a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now on to the show. Just a quick note before I get to the intro, I'll be taking a couple of weeks off for the holiday, but I will be back in the new year with new episodes. Julissa Campos is an Ecuadorian theatre artist and the founding artistic director of iCarumba Theatre, the first Latin American theatre company in Saskatchewan. In this conversation, we talk about diversity in the prairies, the decision to study theatre in Canada, which led to the decision to stay, becoming a mother, and the challenges of continuing a theatre career. And much more. Here's our conversation. Well, Julissa, thank you so much for for coming on the the show. Um, we're speaking. Um, you're in Ecuador currently, uh, and I'm here in Toronto. But normally, you would be in uh, in in Saskatchewan, um, uh, and uh, so. Just to, to 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 get things rolling, um, could you tell me a little bit about uh, Icarumba Theater?
1: Of course, and, and thank you for inviting me. I am very honored and excited to be part of this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm currently in Ecuador. I'm originally from Ecuador. I was born and raised there, and I moved to Saskatoon uh, around nine years ago. I went there for school, and, you know, like I stayed there, I went, you know, I met my partner, and yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> but along the way, um, part of my dream was to be able to create stories that represent the under, the minorities, the underrepresented communities in the province of Saskatchewan. So that's where the idea of creating iCramba Theater came. Uh, because when I finished school, I saw that there was a, a lack of representation, especially in the, in Saskatchewan, in the prairies. And I just had this idea of if I could make it work, maybe younger generations will feel represented. Maybe would like to go to school and do theater because they can see themselves on stage. So um Icaram was was born with the need uh because of the need of, of putting stories that were not usually seen on the main stage. And I started creating my own story called I Frida, which is a uh Coming of age story, a community coming of age story about this immigrant girl coming from Ecuador, uh, moving to Saskatoon, you know, dealing with the whole weather and culture shock and everything. And little did I know, the show had a big success and became the debut of Icaramba as a theater company. And yeah, then from that, it was just the starting point of many other projects.
0: I was going to ask about, I mean, there's certainly a number of, of things that could be. Ah, uh, considered culture shock coming from Ecuador and going to Saskatchewan. But I imagine that your first winter in Saskatchewan may have been something uh, that you would remember for a while.
1: Oh my goodness, it was the worst experience ever. <laughs> mm. I am from the coast, uh, from the coastal city of Guayaquil, so it's like thirty five degrees humidity of eighty percent. right now, I'm like, I'm so hot. Meanwhile, like, you guys are, like, in winter. And, um, yeah, it was very shocking because I kind of took it for granted. I was like, oh, it's fine. I just have, like, a light jacket and just, like, I just get hot and that's it. And I almost froze myself. I remember, like, running and asking for help because I was having a froze fight. I kind of got lost and I missed my bus. And, you know, how the, the system, the bus system works in Saskatoon. So it was just horrible that point, I was like, you know what? Winter, it's a serious thing, and I will never take it for granted anymore. So it was horrible. <laughs>
0: no, no. One, one should never take it for granted for sure. Um, So you went to, uh, you you came to Saskatchewan to go to the University of Saskatchewan uh, to uh, get your Bachelor of Arts in, in Acting, Bachelor of Fine Arts in Acting. Um, w- Was there anything in particular about that program that made you choose Saskatchewan uh of all of the schools in the world that you could have chosen?
1: Honestly, it came down to um, scholarships and uh, money. I got accepted to a few universities in Canada. And obviously, I dreamed to go to Toronto or Vancouver when it came down to how much the international tuition was and scholarships. Um The University of Saskatchewan was the most affordable one for me. And I was like, you know what? Um, at the end of the day, um, my dad always says that it's not all about the school, it's about the student. So it's up to the student what you make with your degree. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go to this city that I've never heard of and uh, never been in this place, but let's just take the chance. At the end of the day, it's a, it's an opportunity for education. I get to leave the country and get a better opportunity. So I took it and it, can, it you know, so substitute grew on me. Now,
0: um, I've I've not been to Saskatoon. I've not been I've, I've been through Saskatchewan, but I've not been to Saskatoon. So I don't have a sense of what the theater scene is like there because you have I Carumba theater has a very specific focus. I would love to hear you tell me about not just your own theater company, but but about the theater scene in in Saskatoon.
1: Well, when I started school and that was nine years ago, um, the only theaters besides the original one that's Persephone was, uh, Shakespeare and then, uh, GTNT, which is the indigenous theater and, um, the French theater, La Troppe Jour. And then th- we have different independent theater companies. So they have this group called Life Five where whoever has an independent show will apply for the season and get selected. But among all the all of those theaters, the only one that I saw that you know was focused on something like different from the Western uh, shows was gt which is the this Brothers' uh, uh, theater. So at th- that moment, I always felt that that if I go and audition for Shakespeare or for Persephone, I was never going to be able to get a role because all I I saw was uh, white actors and stories about white characters so when I finished school I was it was a bit disappointed and I kind of like start thinking like what am I going to do with my life do I have to move to a bigger city and try there or can I open my own you know like carve my own path in here and make it work because during those five years of school all I saw was western stories uh, and white faces on stage most.
0: So in seeing all of that, how long did it take before you decided that you needed to create your own company?
1: It took a year for me because when I graduated, then my next uh, big challenge was to find a job that will help me to get my permanent resident status or else I will have to come back. And as an immigrant, that's something that you have to like hustle through order to stay in a country. So I also have a psychology degree and I decided to work for the year in that area. I kind of like pushed aside theater because I thought it's kind of impossible to get your PR as an artist because you're a self-employed person. <laughs> you're on and off all the time. Um, but during that time, there was something in me telling me, just keep auditioning. So I'm just going to come up and it did. I had a show where I had a leading role called Pretty Nurse. Actually, I was one of the nurses, but in this, in the Saskatchewan, uh production and that kind of like pushed me through continuing with theater and thinking you know maybe maybe this is the start of something maybe I can keep going during that time after Pretty Nurse I had this this desire of you know I need to tell a story I feel like if I don't make my own show and put myself on stage no one's gonna do it and that's how I read I was born and yeah after that it's just like I think it opened many doors because I felt that many people turned their eyes on me and said, okay, well, you exist and you can do things. And this is uh, actually important.
0: I think uh, the realization that you have to make your own work is something that a lot of artists eventually make. Um, You might try to do... When I was in theater school a very, very, very long time ago, because I'm an old man, um, they basically uh, prepared us and told us that our career was going to be, um, you go to the audition, you get the job. You prepare for the next audition. It's just like audition job, audition job, audition job, and that would be it. Um, and there was really not a whole lot of talk about self producing. Once or twice, somebody said, "Well, maybe you know, if you you might do something in the fringe or something like that." That was like the extent of uh, of it. But it's become such an integral part of of an acting and a theater career. Did your the program you were in, did that prepare you at all for self-producing? Or did you have to learn on the fly?
1: Not at all. I had to learn it all on the fly. So you're correct. You're right. That's exactly what happens.
0: So what how did you prepare? Like how did we all sort of go into like when we're self-producing, if we if we self-produce for fringe, it's like producing because there's so much support, you're not like completely uh, renting a theater and all that sort of stuff it's like producing with training wheels on outside of that um it, it's a little bit harder a little more complicated did you have resources that you were able to lean on or people or mentors that were able to help you as on your producing journey or did you have to did you stumble through that and try to find your own way to success with that too
1: no i, I have to say that i had great support of some of the theater artists in the community and also mentors who were my professors and um, I did stumble through, and at the beginning, I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> and actually, the French was the first, um, you know, it was the place where I tested the waters. And what I realized was that, you know, there there were professors that became my friends, my colleagues, after I graduated. And the ones that I really built a really close relationship were the ones who actually supported and, and helped me and believed in my, in my ideas and in my stories. So, uh, uh, actually, Gordon Portman, uh, used to be my, my, uh, voice professor. And then I told him this idea of, you know, I want a great story about this girl who's coming to Saskatchewan and just like, you know, combine a little bit of magic realism, which is very common in, in, in Latin American literature and my story and the story of many immigrants. By then, I was working at the Opener Society, which is a organization that helps immigrants settle into the community. So I kind of borrowed from all the stories that of the people that I used to work with. And um, he, you know, I didn't know how to write. I mean, I knew how to write in English, but I didn't know, I didn't have any experience as a playwright. So basically I didn't know how to write plays. And yeah, he, he mentored me in everything. He said, you know what? I'll, yeah, I'll take you more." board. And I was like, I have no money. I just graduated. So I was like, I'm doing it because I, I believe in your idea. I'm not doing it for the money. And actually he was the first person who, Gave me a hand and, and took me on board. Uh, took me under his wing, and yeah, the rest is history.
0: That's great. That's great. Was it at the Saskatchewan, the 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 the, the Saskatoon Fringe that you did uh, *I of the first time?
1: Yes, it was there.
0: Nice. And so uh, after Fringe, that that show went on to have another life after that.
1: Yeah. So after Fringe, because we got a. Really great reception, honestly. I was like, Well, probably I'm gonna get one star. I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I mean, one person helped me with the art thing, and and you know, friends were like, Yeah, no, we will support you. And you know, you start creating your own, your own crew, and you do it just because you love the art, not the money. The show got four out of five stars, and then with that, I it was a springboard to apply to the Singapore French Festival, which is the biggest one in Asia, and we got in before COVID hit. But uh um, yeah so the the play went international.
0: Wow, that's great. That's great. So did did you actually get to Singapore before covid hit or were you did did, did covid sort of stop you from going?
1: We went virtually. So the dream was right. to go in person and at the the festival continue, but what we did is that we had to record it in the theater and send the file. there. So it was like yeah, a digital theater version, a live recorded Version.
0: certainly less satisfying you didn't get to to see singapore in the way that you had imagined that you would
1: yeah so in the future hopefully with we'll another show <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely one of the things i'm curious about is is as an artist um we all have our own uh way that we like to work our own way that we that we that we do the work our, our own like mandate for want of a better word um what is your what drives you as an artist, and why do you do the work that you do?
1: I would say that what drives me is uh, that that feeling that rush of creating something new and get to know new people and create meaningful work when I did my first show, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing, and then having a lot of people comment uh, onto me and being like you know what you did it's amazing i've never seen a story like that you know and, and congratulating me for for putting something like that it was different it it, it made sense to me in my mind it was like this is what art is about it's about telling a story telling things that people don't really see or if they see they don't really pay attention until they see in a story it's, it's it's telling the truth, <laughs> uh, sugar coated or like undercover, uh, covered with like comedy or or drama or something. It's you know it's it's being in the skin of somebody else. And for me, that was that was the the it was very uh, brought me a lot of like gratification because I felt that I was understanding why I wanted to be an actor, and they kind of like uh, opened a new path for me to fall in love with writing and producing. And directing, because then I understood that you need a whole village to put up a show.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody can do any of this alone. Yeah. Um, now, I, Frida as a show, is that is it a solo show or is it a full cast show?
1: It's a one-woman show. It's a one-woman okay. show, but you um, need a mid-sized crew to put it together.
0: Yeah. I mean, every, every show does. Um, from one solo performer to another, um, was I, I take it it was your first one-woman show, your first solo performance. Um, in doing that, uh, what did you learn about performing that made you want to to keep performing in that way?
1: I learned that doing solo shows was the hardest thing I ever done on stage. And I didn't know until I was on stage by myself. It was terrifying. And, and, and still, like, kudos to... You know, people who does it every year the French because it's it's insane. You're like by yourself learning a 80 page script, uh, <laughs> but uh, that gave me a lot of um motivation and respect for the craft that we do, and and that motivated me to continue writing more stories and then thinking in the future like oh you know I can get grants and add more people on stage. I can think bigger, you know, and make bigger shows and. Uh, you know, dream bigger with productions that we could, could be producing in actually bigger theaters and not just the French.
0: Now, I don't know if you found this. Um, my first time performing, aside from the first performance where I pretty much was sure I was going to vomit, um, I didn't, but I was pretty sure that that was going to happen. Um, but after that, once I'd finished the first, the first run, um, I really felt... Um, a real uh, desire to keep doing, to perform solo. Um, it's it, it was quite a rush to do it. It was very, uh, very motivating. And to take an audience on a journey like that, um, I just kept wanting more. Did you feel anything like that? Or were you like, I don't ever have to do this again and I don't want to?
1: I actually I felt what you felt. I was like, this is amazing. You know, the adrenaline, the rush. I just felt like I was invincible in that moment. Uh of course after that when you go through all that, you're like, oh my God, just a lot of work. But you know, I will do it again. Because it's a it's an indescriptible feeling of being able to just do I don't know, be by yourself on stage and take it all all in, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um now, I know you've been on on CBC's Q with Tom Power and you you've talked about diversity in the prairies. Um, I think that for many of us uh, who don't live in the prairies, we don't we don't imagine a lot of diversity in the prairies. And I don't know if that is a correct imagining or if that's uh, completely uh, uh, false. Um, but you described a theater scene that was mostly white. Has there been more diversity in the theater scene and in the prairies or are you finding uh, that it's much, it's it's as white as it used to be?
1: It's changing and it's more diverse and um, I don't know if it has to do with the whole, you know, like what we've been through in the past couple of years, you know, pandemic and um, sort of Black Lives Matter and everything, you know, everything's going on in society that push um people to be more, uh, open and start accepting more diverse, uh, more diversity on stage, but it is changing. And now I'm starting to see that theater, theaters are, are bringing actors, if we don't have them in province, or giving priority to the actors that were in the province. Because what was happening is that actors of colors were moving to bigger cities to get the big shot because in our, in our um, community, there were there wasn't uh, much going on, so now you see them coming back to do a show, and that that for me that uh, that brings a lot of hope that things are changing. So yeah, so you you see more diversity, you see more opportunities now, and more acceptance. So to me that that just gives a lot of hope for the new generations because when I went to the university a few weeks ago, um, I saw more students. Yeah, more diversity in the um, drama department. When I was there, it was like we were just a small group. Now I saw a bigger, a bigger group. And I was like, this is great. Changing.
0: That's great because a a community that is, uh, pretty calcified in that it's, it's doing a certain kind of thing. Like you mentioned, the, the Shakespeare, the other white, white theater, the only really, uh, theater company of color being the indigenous one. Um, you end up, telling people who uh, are other people of color that there's no work for you here. And so they leave all of the, all of the, the, the color and life and diversity just leaves because you've told them they're not wanted. Yeah. Um, and it's good. You really do. You're cutting off uh, your, your community's future in the root in that in that way. Um, I don't know if the, if you can even uh, uh, speculate on this, but what do you think aside from the pandemic is, is, behind uh people coming back and 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 more diversity uh in the scene
1: why do i think it's behind um i i think yeah more like
0: what do you think is the cause of of all of that happening
1: i think is i think covid and being you know uh everything is shutting down you know broadway turning their lights off and the art struggling, everything. I think it created a new, new way of empathy. People, I don't know how to describe it, but I just feel like we had the time to sit down. We were forced to sit down and watch the world from the passenger seat where you can actually witness what was happening. And people were like, I remember people messaging me, being like, wow, I didn't know you have to go through this. I was like, really? Cause it happened when you were there, but okay, thank you. It happened three years ago. You know, like situations where there was racism on stage or in the community, or like shows that were not acceptable, but people still enjoy them, you know. And and I remember like sometimes um advocating for that and complaining, be like, that's not correct. People were like, Well, wow, it's funny, you know, whatever. Um so I think people were forced to sit down and kind of like really have a, an insightful conversation with themselves to be like, what are we doing is wrong and how can we make it better? I think that that's, I think that was the cause of pushing for a change and people being, um, flexible, like people accepting. Cause I feel like the, the push for a change has been there before, way before. And this is why. I'll, you know, like theaters in, in Toronto were created, a Theater and the Factory Theater, and, you know, Obsidian Theater. You know, there are people who started like uh, the groundbreakers, right? Creating the community where there wasn't. But uh, the reason why I think people now are more um, open to accept that is because they were forced to see, like, it was in front of their eyes. Like, this is what's happening. You have to change. There's no way. I think that's what uh, things are changing right now. You're
0: certainly right about, about the, um... The the you know the these this was not the first time that those kinds of issues came up. I'm I'm reminded of of the multitude of of panel discussions about diversity in the theater that I had seen in Toronto. Usually with the same panelists making the same points about what needs to change in the scene, but never anybody actually willing to make anything happen in the scene. Uh, because I think when theater companies are on the treadmill of production and even not just the companies but everybody who's in the theater you're always like going forward the next thing the next thing the next thing and nobody's taking the opportunity we could it's almost like we could do that but gosh we're like just we're so busy getting this next season going maybe we can do that later and then the theater is shut down and everybody has to deal with it for the first time like they're we don't have any excuse we've got to actually have these conversations and I think that's that's definitely a, a good thing that finally happened
1: yeah, totally um,
0: did you see yeah you saw that you saw that there as well
1: yeah, exactly and, and like like you said it's, a, it's it's always been there because through throughout the years I've seen people always advocating and be like, this is what we need this is what needs to change, but no one would do anything. And it became something very frustrating because you're like, well, nothing's changing. So then people just don't want to listen. Like, you, don't, you just feel very, you feel kind of defeated in terms of like, well, no one wants to listen. You just have to go your way and adapt to whatever the world is doing and however the industry is rolling. So when that happened, it's like, wow, people are listening for the first time. How come people are listening? So it was very, uh, interesting and exciting to see how people were out of the, out of the blue people were like, Oh, now I listen to you. Now I agree with you. Now I want to help you change things. <laughs> Part of me was like, why now? When it's been, it's always been there. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I never, uh, yeah, uh, how do you say like it's like ne- better late than never or something?
0: Better late than never. Yeah, yes. I mean I think that one of the terrible things that that that, that we as a theater community or as a as a white theater community did was essentially force people of color uh black indigenous people of color to um advocate for themselves and to have to fight alone. Yes. Without a whole lot of support and not really listen to them. Like when they t- when we're told this is sort of a thing and this is a, this is not a great situation uh basically saying like yeah we can fix that one day but we can't right now meanwhile we're doing actual harm um so i think that that there's some positive that has come out of the of of, of the pandemic
1: yeah definitely i totally you, yeah you're right
0: um now you mentioned uh uh that you were getting ready to uh, uh go to the singapore fringe when the pandemic hit um. Aside from that, um, what what did you have? What did you have going? Was that the the main focus? And what have you been doing during the pandemic? How have you kept yourself busy creatively as as it's gone on?
1: You know, it was very interesting to uh, the whole pandemic thing. You know, shut down live theater, but it opened a new opportunity of online uh, shows and theater and everything. Right. So I just. I just felt like out of, out of the sudden, I was through into, uh, I was thrown into this new world where, where like, okay, let's do Zoom readings or, or like, let's do, um, uh, recorded plays. And I think I, ha- I, got a lot of, um, a lot of opportunities during that year that, Boosted the theater. And like I said, when I created IFRIDA I never had any expectations of Ad becoming something relevant in the community. Uh, it's just, it was just a theater that I had to create to put a friend show. That's it. <laughs> it was like, I want to say the story because I'm mad at the community and the world for not giving opportunity. So I'm going to put myself on stage and that's it. I just wanted to see it. That was my main <laughs> goal <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> when I saw the effect of that, And, you know, have the show being well uh, received and going to Singapore. The CBCQ, you know, invited me to talk about it. I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Like, what's going on? Like, I just wanted to do the show to put myself on stage. I had no other intention. And COVID happened. Um, Then grants, you know, some grants were on hiatus where, you know, you couldn't get any money for producing live theater, but then you started getting money to produce online theater. That's where iKaramba started growing and, and, a new place started to uh, come up. And then I started writing, I started creating plays that were like suitable for Zoom uh, platforms for um, just video platforms, uh, audio plays. And sa- same idea that iCaramba has, the vision is to to um, uh, welcome diversity and create stories that represent the, the minority. So we kept creating stories like that, but in a new format. So iCaramba, actually, it, w- it was a good year for, for iCaramba it was just like a new world for us where we just started rolling with the new uh the new normal.
0: Yeah. I think that 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 there there were a lot of opportunities in that, um, both for uh like producing plays digitally. Something that I actually hope that theaters take note of. I know there's a few theaters that have really committed to continuing to live stream their shows. And I think that that's super, that's really commendable that they're able to do that um and also new avenues like i i I created a couple of 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 audio dramas myself um just because i needed to do something and so just like struggling through to to try to like figure out how to how to write it and edit it um uh what, what was what was the what were the the audio dramas that you created and and uh how did you did you assemble a team to put those together or did you do those by yourself
1: no, I, I I work always with a team. I, as much as I want to think of myself a jack of all trades, I can't do everything myself. So I like to just you know uh, spread the work to whoever it's good in that area. Um So, for example, during COVID, I had I wrote this show, a ten minute play called "Trapped," which was inspired by a true story that happened in Um uh, I think a, a year before or something like that, where. um There's a a femicide situation and the whole xenophobia towards Venezuela and immigrants coming to the country, running away from the situation, Venezuela. So that play got uh, accepted into this uh, festival called Shortcuts and then COVID hit. So then they were the first ones in that time. Instead of like stopping everything, they decided to actually change everything. Like, you know, let's try something new. Uh, We don't know how it's going to work, but let's do online um, digital live stream. And uh, they used YouTube as a platform. And yeah, so then it was the first time I was writing a play that I had to be adapted for a live stream. venue <laughs> uh, venue per se. And then they reacted and used all these things. Um, so that was the first one. And I thought, you know what? It's not bad. And it's, mm-hmm. if, we don't know how long this is going to take, like the whole pandemic thing. So until the life theory opens, let let's take this opportunity. I saw that as an opportunity for me to grow as an artist and also to to keep telling stories. Because I was like, if I stop right now, well, meanwhile, I already got the opportunity and the, the reception from the community. Uh, I'm not going to lose that, right? So just, just take it and keep, keep flying with it. So um, after that, um, I started applying to other grants. And you know, the funny, funny thing is like the grants for BIPOC artists became multiplied so much. So I was just like holding into all of them. Like, you know what? I'm going to use the BIPOC card and just roll with it and get as much money as I can so I can start creating more work and give opportunities to other co-workers too so yeah so another place came by then Grateful Immigrant and then Trap was like transformed into a YouTube live stream into an audio play that was presented at at a Luna Theater last year Um, the newcomer was digital and also live show uh, because last year they just decided to to see and taste the you know, uh, test the waters and yeah, that's so far what we're doing um, and then I, I jump into doing cultural festivals but that's another story <laughs>
0: <laughs> Now one of the things that I'm always the thing that I really love to to learn about people is is why they chose the theater every, every performer every person in the theater um, has what I refer to as their theater origin story that moment, that thing that made them fall in love with the theater and start the journey towards becoming a, a a maker of theater. For you, what was that moment? How did you decide that this was going to be the thing that you would do?
1: It was very odd because I was 12 years old and I was watching Gone with the Wind and I just fell in love with the whole melodrama. And I, I don't know why I loved it. You know, it's just like it's a long movie, very melodramatic. But I think it kind of resonated with me because I grew up watching telenovelas, so I just kind of liked that whole passion, dramatic thing. And I just thought, you know what? I would like to do that for a living. I would like to see myself on stage or on the screen. And of course, at the beginning, it was more like, oh, it's just a silly dream that every kid has, but eventually you grow out of it because you realize, oh, I'm worried about doing me a starving artist. My parents were like, nope, no. <laughs> but um. After that, my parents saw that I was really into that because I started taking, I started taking uh, acting classes back home. And then I started thinking, what if I go abroad to continue my education? And when they saw that I was like so serious and looking for opportunities and scholarships, and everything, they were like, okay, you know, maybe she wants to do that for a living. So we're going to just, uh, yeah, let her follow her dream under the condition that you also follow another degree that will give you a Another opportunity to survive in case acting doesn't work. So that's when psychology came <laughs>
0: into right. the game. Yeah. Um. Now, for most people, because a lot of people get that theater bug when they're young. And the majority of people, like you said, they grow out of it or they something st- happens where they stop and they say, OK, this is not what I'm going to pursue. But for a small minority of other people, it they come to the realization that, oh, wait, no, you, this can be something other than just a hobby. Do you remember when you realized that it could be more than just a hobby?
1: Yeah. You know, I think when I started university, I was very convinced of that. That's what I wanted to do with my life, you know, being an actor. Cause I loved uh, the whole feeling, the journaling and everything being on stage and being able to uh, be different for people. That, you know, like, be embody a different character. But like, you can't do that in any other pro- profession. Here, you can be a doctor one day, you can be a lawyer, you can be anything. You know, it. No shame. That's the, It's the the character. You know, it's 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 the actor work. Um, but then when I finished school and I hit the reality of wait, I look different, I sound different, I'm not from here. You know, that's when I was like, you know, I think uh, this is just a dream. And I don't think that's going to work. Now, after the whole journey that I've been going through with Icaramba with and being a playwright, producer and everything, I got the feeling again of this is what I want to do with my life because I love being able to create stories and and put it on stage and see the people's reaction and know that my work has a meaning or it meant something to someone. And even if, I, you know, one person or 300 people Left the you know left the theater feeling like it, it, it did something for them. That to me that's that's all it's worth. You know all it matters. And yeah, that's when I thought you know I wanna I wanna keep doing this because it just makes me feel happy and alive. I've done um, office jobs and honestly it's kind of to me it's boring. I feel like some part of me dies every time that I'm in the office all day. But then when I go to you know go to rehearsal, I am on stage. I just feel like that's when I'm the most alive, the happy.
0: Can I ask you a little bit about that—that feeling that you had? You were talking briefly about that when you graduated and how you started to wonder if there was like a place for you. And was that a—is there a place for me here, or is there a place for me in the theater at large? Tell me about that. And—and was it? What—it's hard to go from feeling like that to creating something. So I want to know about that journey too. Like, what made you go from feeling like almost depressed to? Uh, starting to create ifrida
1: um i think i don't know some people believe in destiny i i do sometimes because there are instances in my life where i felt like giving up and then somehow something happens that puts that you know moment in my life you know it puts me in a situation where things work out and i was working full time as a settlement worker kind of like a social worker See, there was like, ah, oh, I'm not gonna do it anymore. Probably, I'm gonna be yeah, a drama instructor if I want to. And I see this casting call, and I was like, well, sure, I'm gonna try. I mean, it's very unlikely that they choose me. They're gonna bring actors. I mean and and then the, the director decides to say you know what yeah talk to the playwright they're okay with you because you relate with the story yes you are not you're not a filipino background but you understand the story of the nurses so yeah we we like you so we're gonna bring you into the production i was like what a minute, is this is this like a, you know that was an opportunity when i was like so like i was like gone i was like no i don't i don't want you to see her anymore to me that was i took it as a um, as a wake-up call, I took it like as a, a sign from above telling me, don't give up, you know, maybe this is something that you can keep continuing. After that, I was like, well, now what? It's one show, it's over. <laughs> and then another opportunity comes, you know, and I feel like every time that I just feel like I can't do this anymore because that's how theory goes, you know, that's how, how arts is. It's just, a friend of mine said it's a very gratifying and an ungrateful degree uh, um, uh, profession it's gratifying but it's also ungrateful because as soon as you're done it's gone so every time that i feel like it's gone something happens you know and that keeps my my desire of continuing and it's weird it's weird because it's not about the money and my partner always says to me i just don't understand why you have so much passion with something that doesn't give you much money <laughs> and i say i don't know either but it makes me happy don't ask me why but it's just every time that when i give up something comes up and keeps me going and i don't know how long this is gonna last but i'm gonna take it until the last
0: i mean absolutely i think that i think you know i think many of us have had somebody ask us why we would do something that doesn't make us that doesn't make any money but then of course there's there's more to life than financial success there's happiness there's exactly. like really loving what you do, and that in in many ways is more valuable than than getting rich doing something It would be nice to be getting rich doing oh, something but it's right. it's more valuable uh, to your soul to be able to be happy doing what you do
1: exactly but you just said it it's exactly it it makes your soul happy and I think that many people don't understand that, but I think. Artists are the ones to mostly understand that. And, and, and uh, yeah, that's what keeps me going.
0: Absolutely. Now, you recently became a mother. In your bio, you describe it as uh, debuting the biggest role of your life, motherhood. Um, as a theater creator, how has being a new mother affected your your theater creativity the time that you have um how how has how has that affected that
1: um it has affected in well in many ways like my world just turned upside down <laughs> many many different things i had to learn and it's been a journey but one thing is that i i never stopped and this is another thing i thought that because i got pregnant and i had a baby things was gonna stop people weren't weren't gonna. Be very like uh, kind or uh, or offer me roles, but honestly, that was it was the opposite. When I was pregnant, I was still working in this uh Community, I was uh, doing um an internship to to become an artist director. Like I got a, I was part of a program where they allow you to do internships, that get paid and learn from you know the people was like above and has more experience. And also, I when I was like huge, like almost ready to pop, I was doing a show. And filming, you know, so things like that, proof, you know, that you know what? Yes, I might be pregnant. I'm not going to have a baby, but I think I can still do things and keep me going. But before that, I was very determined to just um stop for a while because I thought, you know, who, who's going to give me an opportunity? And then after that, as soon as my baby was born again, you know, you, you had this bug, like kind of like, you know, like, kinda like, kinda like give me that itch of like, I want to do something. And, yeah, I auditioned, and then I was like, you know what, if I get it good, if not, it's a good way to keep practicing. I might be away for a year, I might lead. and I got a role, so I'm like, I have a job for next year, <laughs> and things like that, you know. So uh, to me, it's, it's been hard to to manage the time and the energy because I'm always tired. I'm always trying to find a way, like, yes, I can do that. Even even right now, I'm going to interview, I had to plan it, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to. Prepare baby to be happy so my mom can watch baby so I can come and do the interview, right? Cause I'm visiting my family right now in Eckler. Uh, but I have to always time things, um, and be super organized. I can't just be like, Oh, I'm on myself. I'll do whenever I can do. I can, yeah, I can meet at any time as long as you need. No, now I'm like, I'm on a schedule because I have a little one always, uh, you know, wanting me, needing me. So that's a hard part, and that's the part that I almost—it almost made me give up again. But I have people surrounding me saying that you can do it, and and in role models with moms, I've seen them being artistic directors, and in coming around like if you can do it, I can do it. So (laughs) that that's—it's been um, very—it's been a journey of full of learnings, and in in a good way. I don't, I don't have bad experiences so far as being a mom and trying to juggle work. I would say that I make experiences like it's been harder and pre- creative wise, it's been extremely dreadful because I can't write anymore. So I feel like <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, I, I put a, um, a pin on many plays. I, I have three plays that I just had to stop writing because I just don't have the time. Hope. Hoping that maybe I will find a way to, to you know, balance that or or, or find a way to make it work. But for now, I've been just uh, working on producing things or uh, creating things where I'm behind the scenes. I'm not on the stage. I'm just orchestrating the thing. We just did a, a photographic exhibition called Rastros, which would celebrate Latin American heritage month, and. Um, yeah, I was planning. I was organizing everything. I got the grant. I was the one behind everything. But the person who actually was celebrating there was the photographer because it was a photo exhibition. And I just said, you know what? I have a baby. I can't do it. But you're the one who's the artist and you can be celebrated. I'm just going to be at the back doing the money part and paperwork and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's the shift that I I had to do once I became a mother is. Um, I think I took the, the backstage role for now until I can, you know, do the art part of being on stage and being needed all the time. Backstage is, I feel like it's more, uh, how would I want to say, um, not easy going, but it's, it gives me more time to play with things.
0: I understand. Um, now it is not uncommon for, uh, uh, an actor to become a parent. And to end up, uh, in some ways, giving up their theater career, um, and a lot of that is because of a lack of support that is given to 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 mothers uh, or and parents in 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 the theater world. If you were to imagine, I mean, having you know, you have recently had a little one, so you're it's all very fresh. You you still have a, a baby, so the question that I have for you is like, if you could imagine the perfect world in the theater, the perfect situation, what could the theater community do, either in rehearsal or just in general, to help a new mother keep performing and keep working in the theater?
1: I would say a more family-friendly rehearsal schedule. I've heard that things are changing and some theater companies are adapting to this new idea, but... Um, more like, uh, Monday to Friday rehearsal, uh, schedule and, and, you know, like office hours, like eight to five or eight to four, where you can actually find daycare and you have the weekends off so you can take care of your child or you have family helping you or friends or whoever and also help with childcare. I remember working in this show where the main actress was just a new mom and this th- new th- independence theater, new theater, independent theater, company decided to start a change in, in saskatoon where the mom had we had a different schedule we have um we had um re, uh sorry uh lunch and you know break time where the mom was able to feed the baby and then go back and do the show so to me that gave me hope of uh, it, it is possible and we live in a, and the, and the whole theater and acting world is more like you have to do this and leave everything aside, your family, your life. You have no life for a month or two, or if you're touring for the next, I don't know, year. But to me, it's like, when, when do you have time to, to have a family to dream of also having a life besides theater, you know, besides your theater community? Cause we deserve that. And that's my dream is to have rehearsals when it's more family friendly or even for your mental health you don't want to go to rehearsal monday to sunday you know sometimes you just want to have a day two days off, is or one and you don't want to be in odd times where everyone is at home and you're still working you know it's, it's just that family friendly rehearsal time and also um take care having the opportunity to bring the child and have someone to watch the, the kid when you're working
0: Work-life balance and child care. Yeah. Yes. Julissa, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thanks so much for this conversation. I've really appreciated it. And I've had a good time. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you for bringing me into your show. I love it.
0: This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at stageworthypod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at philrickaby, and as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy.